Religiosanity episode 63. Back with Pastor Andrew. I, I have two things, Peter. Okay. The first thing is the new reading and interpretation of the Jesus' Logion on uh, entering through the narrow gate and taking the narrow path. I, I use the translation in, uh, in worship. Yes. And, and people often don't recognize that uh, even the biblical translation, especially if, it, if I provided or use uh, unique translations, yeah. uh, that there is substantial amount of uh, work going into it. Like right. with this one, I, I, I spent a substantial amount of time of, of thinking about it and, and translating it. So... Uh, and then I did not preach about it at all. You know, it was the opening part of the biblical uh, reading, uh -huh. and I mostly concentrated on uh, on that part at the end. But um, I mean, how many translations are you consulting when, when you're doing your own oh, translation? Oh, of course. Uh, the the first is uh, doing my own translation. Yeah, always or almost always, uh, or at least looking into the original text, which means uh, Hebrew or Greek. Mm -hmm. uh, Greek for New Testament and Hebrew for uh, Old Testament or Hebrew Bible. Then looking into what, what translations are available which uh, fit uh, my understanding and reading. And if I don't find any, then uh, occasionally I'll do my own translation. Uh, either uh, formal, uh, close uh, equivalence, formal equivalence, or uh, dynamic uh, equivalence uh, translation. Uh, and this time I, I, I decided to do my own, but I'll first read it uh, in, um, in, I think this is New Revised Standard Version. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy, that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard, that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So that's uh, yeah. uh, that that saying from Matthew. Yeah, and uh, it's normally uh, interpreted as uh, somehow moral exclusivism, you know, hmm. or uh, as uh, being uh, those who are not uh, following the crowds. Mm -hmm. I think that there could be something more, uh, just looking at the context. Uh, one is immediately reminded that in Hellenistic times, you would have something which is called ceremonial gates. Oh. Uh, an equivalent to that would be, in, in, especially in Roman times and onward, uh, Victory arches, for instance, those are the classical ceremonial gates. They they have no purpose whatsoever besides like allowing uh, those who are returning and who are celebrating returning from victory and are celebrating a triumph to pass through it. Mm -hmm. Okay. But even before uh, victory arches were constructed by Romans, uh, there was something similar to that because 
uh, of course, there'll be uh, city gates in the cities which were surrounded by city walls as a part of fortification. But then there were certain towns which had gates on, uh, on their entrances, hmm. which were not surrounded by city walls. And that is that kind of like a reminder, you know, where those uh, uh, arches came from <laughs> and that they functioned uh, in a ceremonial way. Mm-hmm. Those were the places where the city representatives would welcome uh, visiting dignitaries, for instance, and flank open the gate and welcome them with fanfare. Mm. Uh, there'll be crowds lining the roads uh, and, and so on, and, and paying homage to uh, high-ranking visitors from emperor, say, or from an Hellenistic king and so on and so forth. So that, that's that kind of image which was uh, common to those people back then. Any city uh, proud to call itself a polis would have something like that. I see. Regardless whether they had, as I mentioned, walls around or not. Mm-hmm. And so that was for ceremonies, that was for welcoming uh, emperors or their messengers or representatives. While, of course, cities did not have just this gate, even if they were walled all around, they, they had smaller gates for just regular business. Mm-hmm. Sometimes for defensive business as well, because then the, you can uh, start a small contra-attack from that hidden small gate mm-hmm. somewhere in a corner. But generally, cities needed more gates than just one, because you, the, 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 there was a commerce going from the hinterland and, and, and reaching out. Many were agricultural cities, so they, they needed to have uh, uh, easy access to, to, their, uh, to their fields and so on. And, and even more so for those cities which were not surrounded by city walls. Uh, they were just road, a street, which turned into roads mm. leading into nearby villages and, and so on and so forth. And so uh, main city gate would be on a main thoroughway, you know, main highway, Roman, famous Roman roads, or even before that imperial roads. So those, uh, the, the, those are those two options we are facing here. So ceremonial gate and those just daily smaller gates for daily business. And, and with the roads, it is even clearer because from the time of at least uh, Assyrian Empire, there were a main network of roads helping to administer the, that extremely large empire with uh, 
posts in regular distances so that the royal messengers can change their horses or even pass the message from one messenger to another fresh mm. one who would carry it further uh, uh, and that was inherited by Persians Babylonians and Persians uh, and and the Persians gave it over to Hellenistic kingdoms and eventually Romans and Romans these days are probably the best known uh, road builders. Yeah. Uh, I think that predominantly they learn it from Persians or from, from East and, and perfected that. And, and so city, uh, Roman, Roman roads uh, and that main network of uh, their roads uh, was there. And they were relatively well paved and protected mm. and, and so on. Uh, and their primary purpose was for imperial administration and the movement of armies. That was their primary. They, they were secondary, uh, secondary uses for commerce and, and, and regular pedestrian traffic and, and, and so on and so forth. But, but people weren't moving a lot at that time. Uh, they were. Interestingly, they oh, were. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, um, of course, not the regular villagers uh, and, and so on. But, but there was substantial amount of commerce and, 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 and Romans, that was one of the, their successes that, that, they, uh, that they brought this secure transport uh, to, to those areas they mm. administered to their mm. empire. Uh, and it was partly secure because there were those posts, uh, which were military posts. They were not just an irregular post post offices mm -hmm. kind of. uh, but uh, and 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 the travelers could stay there they were secure there and and they were in regular distances uh, these posts so uh, you know you can you can kind of uh, measure your pace and 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 calculate your distances and know how long it will take you from mm -hmm. one point to another uh, you will know how many days you need and and then so on depending on the speed you were moving mm -hmm. whether you uh, official mail would travel really fast uh, surprisingly fast especially if they had fresh horses and as i said sometimes even fresh messengers so that they can run all the time, mm -hmm. 24 uh, hours a day. Mm. Uh, of course, they measured differently, but I am using this. Uh, yeah. And and so they did. And then you had those local roads from the city to a village, or between the farm and a village, or between two villages, and those were more or less like uh, some of those roads which people just create by walking and by, and by walking through the countryside they create those paths and maybe later roads depending how much use there is mm -hmm. for it and they are not that straight they are uh, they were less kept they were more twisty they would not necessarily go over a hill yeah. they would take the path around 
right. uh, and so on and so forth. So that is behind those twisty roads. And uh, on those Roman roads or imperial roads, if we go before the Roman time, uh, I, I mentioned that those were relatively secure roads because in those posts you had a military presence uh, protecting the passage along that road. If you were in good terms with an empire, if you not, were not, of course, that was a major danger. Mm -hmm. And so I think that here we might have certain indication also of uh, gentle rebellious nature, you know, or be aware, don't use those main roads because the, those are enemies' roads, you know, or those mm -hmm. are an occupying power's roads and mm -hmm. we are not in good terms with them, you know, or they might go after you. So use those uh, side alleys and, and roundabouts uh, getting around those main roads because they are safer for what we are doing. But mm -hmm. I would take it even further. I would say that there is this uh, rejection of that Im imperial efficiency and siding with the people, with peasants, with those little ones in villages who most often traveled along those smaller roads and uh, did most of their business that way. Um, so I, w I, I actually suggested slightly different uh, dynamic equivalence translation uh, which would go something like that. Always take a narrow gate, the main ceremonial city gates, and straight Roman roads are built for armies and lead to destruction. Mm. But the narrow gate and twisty roads are by and for civilians and lead to life. Mm. So that will be my take on mm -hmm. this, uh, this passage. And that was more or less the translation we used on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And uh, See, I find yeah. that interesting because like, what I imagine translators do is they, they, they have this urge to uh, make it so that you understand it in modern times. Mm -hmm. You are making it more understandable in that time, in a way. And mm -hmm. then making us understand what he was trying to say to them mm -hmm. there, thereby getting the message to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know, it take it, it takes time, and that is yeah. why I am mentioning it, uh, not to uh, beat my chest, but yeah. uh, so that people recognize that that is not uh, some peculiar way the pastor always wants to, you know, have his own translation used yeah, yeah, or something yeah, yeah, like that, yeah. uh, that there is a reason for it. And also uh, that there is a substantial amount of work going into it. Yes. Which, uh, you, you know, when you hear the, you know, biblical passage, <laughs> yes, that's the foundation of the sermon. 
yeah. uh, not, in, in many different settings. They'll be just taken from the lectionary readings, uh, straightforward from, uh, from some biblical translation, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Well, here there was a whole day yeah. of thinking and discerning and yes. figuring out how to express that. Yeah. Uh, so that it'll still be a translation, but would preserve some of the flavor yes. of the uh, of, of of the original uh, of the original. Yes. And yeah. So. And do you get really frustrated knowing those languages? Do you get frustrated at certain well-known translations? No, but they, they, they present different takes. Yeah. Uh, generally, biblical translation, and especially those towards that uh, more formal equivalence, uh, are somehow frustrating by how much baggage of uh, uh, piety and everything they carry. Yes. I don't mean that we should be impious, yeah. you know, or not being pious. I, I don't mean it. Uh, I, 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 I go to Bible for inspiration and to direct and lead my life. That's my primary source. I, I would not be biblicist or, mm -hmm. or not, not doing that. But I, I think that simply by that uh, burden of holiness, yes. it, it got overburdened to the point of breaking. Mm -hmm. So certain things are completely missed because it has to be holy. And it might be a joke. And mm -hmm. I think that we talked about it uh, in so, some of the uh, earlier episodes, you know, about the humor in the Bible, for instance, and, and, and so on. And, oh, oh, it cannot be a joke. It must be holy, you know. And, and therefore, uh, it, is, it, it is this uh, cumbersome, over-serious. Uh, and it's somewhere in between translations and the way people approach it. Even when they open the Bible, they are looking for uh, this supra-serious stuff. Yes. And, you know, it might not always be. I'm not saying that it is not present there. Of course, there are. In the end, it is all about serious matters. You know, if you spend the time to write something, you know, now going away from holy scriptures, mm -hmm. just into, if, it's, if the writer spends time to write something, there usually that person has a very good reason, you know, why he or she is doing it. Yes. You know, either treating some neuroses, <laughs> you know, or uh, trying to persuade or to excel or show off or, you know, there are many different reasons, but there are substantial reasons. You, you mm -hmm. would not spend that much time or making money. <laughs> like recently I heard, you know, substantial amount of Mark Twain's writing was just to make money yeah. so that he can yeah. pay off his debts yeah. <laughs> and so on and so forth. But uh, all those are serious reasons. But uh, with, with uh, Holy Scriptures, 
there is this extra burden coming with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that lightening it up or being prepared to see some other motives behind it or certain different angles is always good. And I have to say that we are so lucky to have you translating this stuff. Whenever, whenever I hear them say, this is the pastor's own translation, I'm, I perk up. <laughs> I'm like, this is, nobody else is hearing this. This is a translation just for us. Yes. Yeah, from yeah. somebody who knows is from an expert on this. That's, Thank you. that's no, a I, big deal. I, I, I'm being also inspired by others. You, you know, I uh, know, it's, it's yes. never, and that, that is making it also time consuming because first uh, I, I, I have my own eyes and my own idea, but I need to double or triple check right. that. First of all, is it really my own or where right. there are others who were thinking along the same line? Right. For what reasons? Right. And, and kind of fine-tuning and checking it. And, yes. Um, so that it is not an utter blunder. I, yeah. I would feel guilty and very, very bad if, yes. if I did that uh, uh, by carelessness. You know, some, some kind of a crazy mistake or something like that. And I just want to say what you've done for me. My first Bible... <clears throat> My first Bible was the living translation. Mm -hmm. And I loved it as a child. And then I grew to feel like it was too, um, taking too many risks, translation-wise, taking too many liberties. Mm -hmm. You have sent me back to it because you love that translation, right? Ah, <laughs> You told me you did. But the dynamic, I'm talking about yeah. dynamic translations. Let me just yeah. say that. New I, living translation. That's what I meant. It's not the living translation. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'm using new living new translation. Living. That's new what it is. New living translation, and I'm controlling it because uh, there, there, there was good news translation. Or that's something the like other that. one. That's yeah, the other one. Yeah, good news translation, and that was, uh, <laughs> that was very conservative theologically. Yes. So it was using this uh, relatively uh, or balance between formal and uh, or literal formal and dynamic equivalence. Yes. Uh, but was predominantly coming from uh, evangelical background. Yes. And yes. some of the translations was even harmful. Uh, I remember good thinking, news yeah. translation, for instance, uh, it was single-handedly responsible for setting anti-LGBTQ oh. uh, agenda many years back in Presbyterian denomination, oh, wow. PCUSA, because they used that translation uh, while quoting Bible in... Uh, Heidelberg Catechism mm. and in the Bible itself there were certain hints against the homosexuality 
but it is never really expressed and it, it, it is immediately clear that it is more complex. Mm-hmm. While uh, this good news translation was translating it full mouth. Wow. You know, against uh, homosexuals and other perverts, you know, or now I'm kind of quoting from really deep memory of that. And uh, when quoting Apostle Paul here. And that was what was used in PCUSA, Presbyterian Church USA, translation of Heidelberg Catechism. Don't ask me why. And that is a confessional standard. So in our confessional standard, they, uh, they had this really nasty homophobic uh, passage. Mm. And while I was here early on, before I became a minister in PCUSA, I, I was visiting uh, one of the general assemblies and that was my first encounter with that translation of catechism, historical catechism. And I knew from my own translation, the Czech translation and, and other, that that was not there. Mm. And I was just like puzzled, where it is coming oh, from. So weird. And, 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 and I, I actually was one of those who talked with uh, denominational uh, officers mm. saying you need to have a new translation mm. of Heidelberg Catechism, which they eventually did. Mm. Wow. You know, as, as a visiting uh, partly scholar, visiting a missionary, they called me yeah. uh, back then. It was around the year uh, 1999, 2000. And it took a decade to get it fixed. And a new version of Heidelberg Catechism, new translation of Heidelberg Catechism was eventually adopted and eliminating this this whole uh, nonsense really, you know, which sneaked in through this kind of colloquial and catchy yes. good uh, good news translation uh, and and I, I I don't know you and, know and and that what that means that yeah that one is a big red flag and 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 you caught it but how much other stuff like that equal to that but not as incendiary you know what I mean is in is in that translation then doing other things that we don't know to other people reading it like this is this is so um, scary. Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, and it's not like it's, you're saying it's not like it could even be like debatably uh, uh, translated that way. It's like almost like way too much yeah. uh, for an agenda. Yeah, I, I think that I wrote about it uh, in one of my blogs, uh, like going over this whole history of, of using this uh, ephemeral uh, translation like French translation for translating the standard of faith within the main denomination uh, is is just uh, unbecoming. (laughs) uh, uh, And um, 
that that so here we are on the level of of different translations and talking about it uh, and so you know I'll use this translation myself in the worship yeah but I would probably uh, need to have deeper engagement with colleagues and others uh, while while presenting it in a written form i see for instance i see yeah and uh, back in czech republic i was on the tail of translating ecumenical translation of the bible into the modern language most of the work was done before i joined that group i was really coming when they were doing corrections of mm. the earlier editions and going through some apocrypha and, and these kind of things but um, I, I, I was involved with that uh, now almost 30 years ago mm. uh, in different language. But that was a team effort. Yeah, yeah, you know, there were yeah. scholars who were criticizing each other's work. I, I heard them talking uh, and remembering because they started 30 years earlier than I joined mm. them 30 years ago. So that has been started something like more than 60 years ago. It took them 20 years to translate the Bible. Wow. Uh, that they divided it so they were New Testament scholars and Old Testament scholars. Ecumenical, it means that there were many different denominations, Roman Catholics, of course, and Orthodox, and, and different shapes and forms of Protestantism involved in it. Uh, and they were discussing, uh, usually they would assign an... Uh, book, a uh, biblical book to a scholar to make a translation, but then all of them would come and take it apart, it apart yeah. and, and, and discuss sometimes uh, one sentence over and over yeah. again, especially they did that uh, uh, with, um, with the Hebrew Bible, where uh, the editorial process of Hebrew Bible was more thorough and took longer. So there is, yes, there are differences in style and so on uh, across the Hebrew Bible, but it is more compact Hebrew Bible. Mm -hmm. While New Testament, you can see even more individual styles mm -hmm. here mm -hmm. uh, uh, of authors. Yes. Like Luke writes definitely differently yes. than John. Matthew and so on. So yeah. New Testament uh, branch uh, of those translators uh, gave more freedom to translators. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. You know, they, they, on the other hand, were uh, really trying to match the style of the original author like Luke with a style and personal outlooks of a translator. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, I knew the translator of the Gospel of Luke and Acts, <laughs> and, and I know that they really thought about to whom they should give it. Yeah. Uh, and I knew, and my professor was the one who translated, say, Gospel of uh, Mark. Mm -hmm. And first, he spent substantial time of trying to figure out the, the style and, and what was the style and way of thinking mm -hmm. of, uh, of Mark. Mm -hmm. 
and so on and so forth. So the, the, those are all uh, different styles. I don't go there. Yes. <laughs> you know, for yes. me, it is more utilitarian, yes. just translating the passage. But there is similar duties, though, that you're sure that you have. Sure. Yeah, yeah. or text. trying, yes. you know, trying to to, to accomplish. Uh, in in my case here, I am trying to uh, illuminate yes. certain aspects which are overlooked or completely missed. Mm. And so uh, here, I don't that much look into style of say. Here it was Matthew, you know, into style of Matthew. I'm trying just to lift up certain aspects yeah. and make them more visible. Yes. I'm not uh, part of, of, of that broader yes. discussion yes. Of, of different styles and approaches and, and, and cross-criticizing. I, I can imagine that, you know, my colleagues would come back and, and tell me, you know, that, that this is not the, the kick, style of Mark kick, or whatever, you know, yeah. Matthew, you Matthew. know, and uh, Keith, uh, <laughs> the, turn it down, you, you know, yeah. the, the, you, you just don't, uh, for instance, I have here straight Roman roads. Yeah. You know, yeah. don't sneak in those Romans there. They w <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I use that because it is kind of illustrative and illuminative here. Right. But uh, in the broader context, if it is part of the whole chapter or whatever, uh, yes. actually, the Gospels were hinting it, but they intentionally were hinting it. They did not yes. want to blare it out. Yes. Because that was part of their style. Yes. They, they would not say, go after Romans, because they would immediately have, uh, you know, all the attention and all that oh, yeah, uh, oomph, right. yeah. uh, you know, hunting them down. So yeah. it, th that's part of that style and, you know, be, be, being quiet about your primary yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, purposes, you know, or the, yes. the, there are other things uh, to go after, but you, you just don't say uh, directly, attack directly, uh, yes. say your potential uh, adversaries yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. or uh, the, those who can cause you harm. Yeah, yeah. I have a question, but it's a way to end because the question is going to be too much. It's maybe it'll be something that we can mm -hmm. go into in an entire other episode one day. The most interesting word I think in that passage is life. Mm -hmm. The you Jesus's use of the word life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd love to know the original word. If it has a fluid meaning like love, mm -hmm. you know, because it seems like life to us now, the word life, is a little bit less exciting of a word than it was then. Or it seems like it might be. Mm -hmm. Life just seems mm -hmm. really just straight up like mm -hmm. breathing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Zoe. It is in Greek, chai mm -hmm. in Hebrew, but uh, it, it, yeah, let us, let us have That's a whole other an, episode another, <laughs> another episode yeah, I mean, about yes. that. Uh, yes. And it gives you yeah. time to dig into it. No, not only that, but uh, I, I think that it deserves 
Yes, it deserves uh, it deserves um, special episode. I, I'm not saying that it'll be the next one. Yeah, yeah. But let us keep it on our mind because uh, all, all these uh, broader concepts. Yes. And and to what extent it is really a biological life, and to what extent exactly. it is a metaphor yes, for exactly. something larger. Here, it, it there is. I, I I really don't know now. I I would need to really. I, I did this translation like a week ago, so I, I think that there is Zoe there. You, uh, you like, must have. You I mean, know, you, in you, Greek, you uh, wouldn't you have know. passed over that so quickly, right? You you probably gave it as much. Thought as every other word in that. Uh, I, I took it metaphorically. It yeah, leads yeah. to life. Yeah. You, you know, and, and definitely differently than just uh, being alive. Uh, being being alive. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 uh, yeah. So let yes. us let us dedicate a special Something episode to it. To look forward to mm-hmm. next time. Thank you for Thank you. this today. Thank you, Peter. Until next time. Mm-hmm.